Welcome back, podcast friends, to I Am Healthy and Fit. This is the podcast that motivates, inspires, and educates you to transform your health and fitness permanently from the inside out. I'm Steve Jordan, your health and fitness coach. I'm very excited about this podcast today because I had the rare opportunity to interview one of the top sports medicine physicians, Dr. Lara Morgan Oberly, a staff member at the Cleveland Clinic Department of Orthopedic Surgery, specializing in primary care, sports, and exercise medicine. Dr. Oberly has the opportunity to care for local high schools, Division I colleges, as well as professional athletes, including the NBA champions, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Dr. Oberly is an avid CrossFitter, a marathon runner, and a novice triathlete, and enjoys continuing to provide care for those who do the same. She has a special interest in ultrasound-guided injections and procedures, as well as the physiology of sports performance. I know you're going to enjoy this one and learn a lot from it. Dr. Lara Morgan, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for asking. Good. Well, I'm glad to have you on today's podcast and the time on Father's Day to do this. Happy yeah, Father's thanks. Day to your dad. Thank you. Thank you. Same to yours. Thank you. And to all the fathers out there who are listening, thank you for encouraging your daughters and your sons to pursue medical degrees and professions. <laughs> uh, some of the most uh, honorable professions out there. And uh, we're going to get into some really some of the, the nitty gritty of of medicine, uh, particularly sports medicine with Dr. Oberly, who's a physician for the Cleveland Clinic, the Department of Orthopedic Surgery. Uh, she specializes in primary care, sports and exercise medicine. And she's had an outstanding career. She's uh, been fortunate to work with high school teams and professional teams, including the NBA All-Stars and World Champions, the Cleveland Cavalier, Cavaliers, a little tongue twister there. And <laughs> uh, she is dedicated to health and fitness on a, a more of a, a global scale where she looks at the individual as a whole, where in the past, uh, many doctors looked at isolated areas. So I'm excited to get into this. Um, Dr. Oberly, what is what you think today, like where is sports medicine today um, and where do you see it going in the next five years? Awesome. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to chat about these kind of topics here. And like you said, my perspective is a little bit unique just because I do have that um, primary care sports and exercise medicine background. So which is a little bit of um, internal medicine combined with athletic come orthopedic medicine, if you will. So with that question, you know, I'm, I think it's a super exciting time to be a part of sports medicine. Um, I, I'm newer in my career and then I'm seeing a little bit of the tide shift. And I think the, the newer age philosophy or the, in my opinion, the newer age philosophy of, you know, combining some of those, you know, global scale kind of attributes about our bodies and health with orthopedics is really important. Um, and we're learning more and more about those certain areas. Obviously there's a lot of research areas in sports medicine nowadays. In addition, um, there's new injectables that, that are being used. There's new, you know, concussion, you know, obviously it's a huge topic. Um, so there's a lot of new and upcoming things, but we're really working hard at understanding how, you know, our physiology and how we function integrates into the injuries and things that we get. Interesting. Do you see more uh, of a common injury today than you did 10 years ago? 
Um, it's probably patient population specific. Um, one of the biggest uh, kind of injuries, if you will, or issues that we deal with today is a lot of you know, wear and tear. So osteoarthritis or the, the kind of general wear and tear arthritis is extremely common. Um, weight plays a big factor in, in the development of osteoarthritis. It's not the only thing, but it definitely is a factor. And obviously with the obesity epidemic in the country, that's one of the challenges. The other big um, overuse type injury is tendon issues, which is another really exciting area of sports medicine. Um, we used to treat tendons and we call tendonitis or tendinopathy a whole different way than we're starting to do it now. Um, but we don't have a lot of great treatment for that. So that's a big area of research as well. Awesome. What are some of the common treatments for osteoarthritis? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners out there have suffered from either acute or chronic phases of some type of arthritis, especially osteoarthritis. Absolutely. So I have a whole spiel. I'll do the abbreviated version since we're on just a shorter podcast here. I don't want to take all the time. Um, but there are a few things that we start with in my clinic. Number you know, one through three are things that the patient can do or that your listeners can do. So Activity is super important, keeping their muscles strong to support their joints, weight management over the course of their life, and then sometimes an anti-inflammatory medication. Up from that, there are injections, steroid injections, corticosteroids to help with pain. There are other types of pain injections, which people may have heard of, called gel injections. Um, and then long down the road, you know, joint replacement is an option for a lot of people if they get that far. But the steps one through three at the beginning there are the ones that I feel are the most important, obviously, because those are the ones that the patient can kind of manage in the earlier stages or throughout the stages of arthritis to try to help with their symptoms. Absolutely. I deal with that often in my practice as well. And uh, I see a huge benefit in what you said first movements, right? Getting everything moving and lubed up and the body has a really great ability to heal itself when it's, when it is moving and you are eating the right foods and getting the right amount of sleep and reducing your stress. And then, uh, you know, I do, did and do have some times when I refer out to some orthopedist here where uh, a single shot of an injection, like a cortisone shot will, nip it in the bud and, and allow us to move through ranges of motion and through movements that are allowing that person to feel comfortable and confident. Um, and then ultimately being pain-free because we've allowed the, the symptoms of that arthritis to be alleviated. And so now we're able to strengthen the global muscles and the, the muscles that help to support that structure. So hundred yep. percent agree. hundred percent agree. If we don't do all those things, you know, strengthening, support, control, all those things first, no matter what I do in my office, it's not going to matter for the most part. But sometimes that one little, one little booster, that one little reset with the cortisone injection or what have you can be really helpful um, to kind of eliminate pain short term, get them back to working with someone like yourself or, you know, a physical therapist, whoever it may be. Um, and they do really well, which is awesome. You know, I, I'm very active and, you know, I just started running and the first run that I started doing uh, about two weeks ago, I was like really sore the next day, not just physically sore, but my joints were sore and um, I hadn't run in a while. I mean, I've run a marathon, I run half marathons. I actually think the last time I probably ran was prepping for the health and wellness summit for the Rob report where I met you several yeah. months ago in Miami. And we had some great morning runs on the beach there, a beautiful location, looking at the ocean, the crystal clear blue water of Miami and the nice temperate weather made runs really nice and easy. So it had been a couple months, but I felt some joint pain. And what I prescribe for myself sometimes when I'm feeling that is I just do 
a dose of Advil before I go to sleep, not on an empty stomach. I try not to do it on an empty stomach, but with a little something in my stomach, I'll have a little snack and I go to sleep with that and I wake up and like, I feel so much better. Like those just the two Advils before I go to sleep. I figure like my body's going to repair and recover when I'm sleeping. And then I'm just giving it a little extra boost at night with some mad with two Advil. And typically I would say like 95% of the time that nips it in the bud for me. What do you think of that? Yeah. So for most people who have, you know, no other medical, I would say contraindications or medical reasons to not do something like that, the occasional anti-inflammatory medication, and that would be the Advil's, the ibuprofen's, the Aleve's, the Naprosin's, that whole class, that's kind of what it's used for. They are anti-inflammatory. So when you went for that run, you had done something that your body hadn't done in a while. Obviously, when we, you know, run, we put a lot of force across our joints. We kind of inflame certain areas to some degree, which is the normal part of the process. Um, I wouldn't want you taking something like that every time you go for a run or after every run. If you're having to do that, there's probably something else going on. But if from whatever workout it is, if you notice a little, the first step is one rest um, from the activity that, you know, you provoked your symptoms with. And two, sometimes I do recommend it medication just to kind of help your body get rid of the inflammation that you created. And then you start over. The other thing to think about, and I know you're super motivated and obviously very active um, and healthy guy, so it may not be the case with you, but some people try to do too much too fast. So mm-hmm. if you hadn't ran since that lovely jog we took in the Rob Report event, um, which was, like you said, several months ago, probably not a good idea to go out and try to do the same distance or the same intensity. You got to start low and slow. So, you know, for patients, I often recommend, you know, very, very short bursts, light activity, five, 10 minutes at the most of a run, and then maybe some walking mixed in. And then the next day you can always do more. So it's always easier to add on than it is to kind of subtract if you overdid it. Absolutely. And I'm, uh, I am definitely guilty of that. I <laughs> went out and I, I, I typically do a four mile run, it, basically just based on time, because I know the time that I have. Uh, one to get to the run where I want to be and two getting home. It's about an hour. So I pick a four mile run that I like. Um, I have a couple routes of that run, but I wanted to do it in 30 minutes or less. I knew I wasn't going to do that on the particular first run, uh, but I did get it in around 34 minutes and change. And today I did the same run. It's the fourth time I've done it. And I did it in 32:30. So I shaved awesome. off about a minute and a half to two minutes off of that run. And my body feels great. It was just that one time that I felt yep. like that. It, you was know, just, but it was a new activity for you. Absolutely. Was. absolutely. Bodies, but, bodies need discomfort from time to time. That's not always a bad thing. Pain is bad. A little discomfort, not always a bad thing. Definitely. Definitely. But I know that, you know, the population that I particularly work with, uh, and I think really just today in general, people are expect fast results. They want quick fixes. They want to get to where they were. They, if they stop, they want to pick up where they left off and they do start too fast and they do uh, do too much in the beginning. And they typically end up burning out or they get injured or even a little tweak. And then they say, Oh, this doesn't feel good. And what would you say to these individuals that, that are typically that type a, I want to go harder. I want to go faster. I'm going to do more. What do you say to these individuals to help them, see the value of starting slow and fast? First of all, I know that person all too well because I also am that person from time to time, <laughs> right? 
um, in medicine, we create ourselves to be type A motivated kind of go getter type personalities, I think. But what I tell them is, you know, ebbs and flows are normal, right? So you're going to come into doing things, you're going to come out of doing things, and you have to be okay with that. Um, you know, when I see a marathon runner in my clinic who has an injury, for example, that prevents them from running, that's huge. That's a big life, you know, affecting event for them. And most of the time, we try to find ways for them to do lots of other things, which may include or may not include running, depending on the injury. Um, and then more importantly than all or nothing, which tends to be some of the mentality, um, because if you can't run and you are a runner, if we take that away from you, it's really devastating. And yeah, there may be 16 other things that you can do for exercise, but they're not the one thing you really want to do. Um, so I try to explain to my patients that consistency is what matters most. And now you and I know I've had this conversation before that consistency is what matters. So maybe, you know, instead of going full in 100%, getting hurt, having a problem, start slow, go low, integrate something else, a lot of cross training, a little bit of variety in what you do. That's actually going to make you much more of a excuse me a successful athlete. So, for your example that you just gave, if you would have just continued to just run, 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 run for those four mile loops over and over again, yeah, you may have gotten to that thirty two minute time faster, but you probably would have had more problems with injuries or issues. Now, you obviously cross train and do a lot of other exercise and activities to stabilize those joints that we were talking about earlier with the wear and tear phenomenons. And overall, you are going to one get better. You're going to be able to still improve your times, but also you're going to protect your joints. You're going to protect your overall health and well-being and your chance of injury is probably less. You know, I don't have any science on this. This is all anecdote, but your injury rate is probably less um, in doing that. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I had actually a little experiment about five, six years ago. I was running a half marathon. I had never run one before and I decided to take it on. And it was about three months prior to signing up, I decided I was going to do this experiment on a run. So typically prior to that, I never ran long distances because I had believed my, my belief system was that I was not made for long distances. I was more like a Ferrari where I go out and <laughs> run short, short distances really fast and really, you know, perform in that, in that range. Um, I wouldn't drive, you know, like you wouldn't drive a Ferrari across country was always the analogy I gave, you know, you can yeah. drive a Mack truck across and I'm just, I wasn't built like that because my body would hurt from doing long distances. And I think it was really more just my mind in hindsight. So I decided to do a half marathon and why in my preparation, I figured if I put in the distance that a lot of these running books and running enthusiasts talk about and running coaches talk about, I, I felt like I was going to break down and I wouldn't make it. And so what I did was. I decided on every Sunday, so the first Sunday that I decided to do this, I ran one mile. That following week, I would do three bike rides on a stationary bike for the distance or for the time that it, I felt that that distance of that week was going to take. So the next, after the first week, it was mile two. If I ran an eight and a half minute mile, then mile two would take me about 17 minutes. So I decided I would ride the bike for three, uh, three sessions and I would do 17 minutes and then I would run that mile two on week two. And then I would do that all the way up. And then the last, the, the week prior to the event was mile 13, which was going to be the event. So I like built it up all the way to that. Well, on my first half marathon, I crushed, I finished 12th overall in my age group, which was 31 to 39. I was the highest. I was 39 at the time. So uh, no, it's 38. Excuse me. 
So I was 38 at the time. So I was at the high end of my age group and I was just running. I felt awesome. My body felt great. I never felt better. And I believe that what I had to get overcome was not just the physical. I knew how to run. I knew my body could do it and mechanically and biomechanically, but it was in my brain, like the distance, the time that it was take to do it. So I ran it in like a, an hour and 29 minutes, I think what total time was, which That's was cool. awesome. Yeah. So Awesome. I, yeah, it was great. And so I, you know, I, I used that actually, um, I'm using that little experiment in my book for people who say that running isn't for them or, you know, had the same limiting belief systems that I did that I wasn't a long distance runner and I was for a more short term. I think we're all meant to run distances, you know, can change and vary based on your, you know, a lot of different variables, your age, your physical condition, um, joints and everything else. We, we can go into a grocery list full of things. But I think that we're made to run, we're made to move, we're made to walk. And um, but not everybody has those has the strategies or necessarily the, the, the thought process that maybe I did. If you were to tell somebody, if you were to tell somebody to go run who's never run before, what would be the first thing you say other than go start slow? What would be the advice that you would give somebody who's saying in their mind right now, I'm not a runner, I can't run. Um, but you know that running and or a jog might be good for them. What would you, what advice would you give them? So I try to give really good tangible things in my clinic. Um, cause it's, it's hard for people, especially if it's a mind barrier, like you're describing. Um, and so what I would say, and this goes for my patients that are coming back from injury too, if I've had to shut them down from running for a while, I start everybody the same way. I think of, I, I describe it like this. I say, okay, so if you live on a city block or you can get access to a, you know, kind of a regulated distance, so I always use the city block example. I'd say, what I want you to do is tomorrow you're going to one, run one side of that block and you're going to walk the rest. Excuse me, tongue twisters here. So you run one side and you walk the three other sides. You do that maybe two or three times total. So you're running very, very little that first day. And then you stop. The next day, if you feel well and you have no pain or aches, then maybe you can increase that. So you have to go um, around a city block or on a distance that you can measure. So that way you can say, okay, I went this far one day. I go a little bit further the next or the next week even. You don't have to move it up every day. And then I always say that you have to vary one of three things to prevent injury if you've never done something before, like running. So number one is the intensity at which you do it. So you can't sprint that first side of that block the next day. If you've never done that before, you got to go slow. So the intensity, um, the time off between runs. So you can't go back to back to back to back to back and expect to be okay. You got to give your body the appropriate time off. Um, so it's time, duration, and intensity. Um, and so the duration at which you go is the last bit. I love it. Great advice. Very, very good. Now, if you were to go out and run, what's the distance that you would feel comfortable and confident with just getting a great workout in? I did that this morning, actually. <laughs> it's been beautiful in sunny Cleveland, Ohio today. It was actually quite warm, almost 80. So that was a little bit hot for me to run. But, um, you know, my usual just kind of trots, because I'm not a faster, I'm not the, you know, the Porsche, the Ferrari, I'm much more that Mack truck in that description. Um, but I usually go and I can do, you know, around three, three to four. Um, five is usually my kind of longer if I'm not in a training cycle, a five mile run is a kind of a weekend thing for me because of the time that that takes me to accomplish. Um, but then if I was, you know, kind of comparing back to my last marathon training cycle, 
um, five, seven, nine, 13, that's what the weekend miles go up. So they go up very quickly. So I'm one that's very lucky that my body can tolerate the distance at a very slow pace and I can move up quicker. I've learned that about myself. Um, but in my standard day to day, like today was four miles, just a nice little jog outside to get a good sweat in and enjoy the beautiful sunshine. Well, you are a balanced runner. I know that we had great runs again in Miami and, uh, you kept up with me. I kept up with you. We, we, I, I, I could run with you and that's rare to find with, uh, you know, somebody of the opposite sex often. So, um, that was great. I enjoyed that very much. The other piece of that is, like you said, you know, variation. And I do strength train because we have a ton of body of evidence in medicine, just tons, that runners must strength train. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're talking a lot about runners today, but runners have to strength train. Runners just can't run. If you just run, it's kind of setting yourself up for problems or issues. But you strength train, you cross train, and then you get to be a runner for much longer in your life if that's something that you enjoy. I love that. Uh, what would you, what exercise would you choose for a runner if uh, you had one exercise only? Uh, like what other exercise they could do besides run? Yeah. One other exercise. You said strength training. What would be the one exercise that you would recommend? Well, that's tough. There's so many good ones. So, um, let's go with a plank. That's not going to be enough, Mm. but when you think about how you run, you have to have core and lumbar stabilization, right? You have to be able to control your hips. Um, so if you're not going to let me do a full glute series or a whole bunch of glute, uh, or hip workouts, then the one thing to actually stabilize your core and pelvis as you run um, in your low back would be a good old-fashioned plank. Awesome. I like that one, too. Mine would be a side plank. Ooh, so, nice yeah. <laughs> so, helping to, you know, getting those internal external obliques and uh, the glute medius, provide that lateral plane, frontal plane stability while you're running so you're not losing that energy out and putting a little bit more stability on the spine from that direction. So that's a great other point that you mentioned there. And um, I don't want to kind of go past it too quickly, but you know, we run in a forward plane, right? And we've talked about this. It's forward and backwards is our kind of natural plane that we all live in and a side to side or a lateral movement, uh, you know, a side plank or, you know, something where you're walking, doing a side lunge or taking yourself out of that normal plane is super important. So that's a great, great point. Yeah, great. Awesome. So I've got a couple questions. um, And I don't know how deep you can go into this. But um, I'm certain because you worked and worked with the Cleveland Cavaliers. um, Got a couple questions about them or really one question. Um, So LeBron James is considerably, you know, there with Michael Jordan as one of the best athletes of all time, uh, especially in the game of basketball. Um, this guy's playing, you know, how old is he now? 36, 35? Something like that. Yeah, I'd have to. Okay. Have to... About that. At his top top of his game, uh, he is working hard. I mean, you watched him play in the finals here, and although they had a terrible loss, and I apologize for that, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, you could see this guy just crushing it all the way through, never coming out, working all the way to the end. Um, he seems to have a fitness mind a fitness body, something that he does, like there's a system, a program that he's doing um, that many others aren't. Maybe others like Chris Bosh or Dwayne Wade and uh, Carmella Anthony, who who came in the league at the same time. These guys are like on the decline, but I feel like LeBron James is at the pinnacle and still there and probably has a few more years left in him. Do you know what he does on a really, on a daily basis? What does <laughs> uh, he do? Yeah. What's his no. secret sauce? Um, that's like I said, that's a great question to ask LeBron. Um, I'm sure he does a lot of wonderful things. He has a lot of great resources. I don't have any insider secrets on that. Um, and when you think about it, 
these professional athletes that we see, you know, on TV or in, you know, um, triathlon sports or all these other sports, they're the epitome of, of health and fitness. And they are finding ways to be successful and to train hard, work hard. They have a lot of, you know, talent already built in. Um, and I, that's why I love watching sports so much. And I am a fan as much as I am, you know, a position for all these athletes that I care for is because of just seeing the amount of the body of work that they do um, and how they approach their job, which, you know, is my job is medicine. Theirs is their sport. Um, it's just a really, really unique thing. If you could generalize or sum up one attribute that all of the athletes, uh, young, old, professional, non-professional have, what would that attribute be? I think the most unique thing about the patients that I care for that are athletics, like you said, of all varieties from, you know, the little junior high guys I take care of all the way up is everybody's working to be better at something. They're all super, you know, driven maybe is the word to use um, to try to do more, be better, whatever that may be in their careers and in their lives or in their sport. Um, and they just, they're really, which is really fun to be a part as a physician, especially because I often meet these patients when they're coming in at a time, you know, they're coming to me because they have a problem. Um, it's a little different than when they come see you uh, in, in your in your setting, because I'm seeing them in kind of a really bad place most of the time. And to be able to kind of, you know, hopefully talk to them and motivate them and continue to keep that drive funneled in an appropriate way is, is that's why I love my job. Like that is by far the best part, because then it in turn motivates me. Um, you know, I sit in clinic all day and I talk about weight management and I talk about running and I talk about exercise and how important it is to eat healthy and, you know, drink lots of water and all these things that we know. Um, and so then, you know, I kind of, you walk the walk, right? You got to do all those things yourself. Um, and seeing other people do it and be successful or have victories, it gives me all sorts of energy to do the same. That's awesome. You know, I've seen a big change in the way that doctors are prescribing even the way that they're personally living their lives and what they promote uh, to their patients. You, 10 years ago, you never, like, you rarely saw doctors who were in shape, uh, you know, although they're recommending that their patients, you know, lose 20 pounds when the doctor there needs to lose 40. Uh, that was a common thing I often heard. Uh, today, doctors seem a little bit more integrated into health and fitness. Would you consider that to be true? And how and why did that evolve and where is it going in the next five to 10 years? You know, I hope it's true. I can't speak to the doctors from, you know, 10, 15 years ago and kind of what they were doing or how they were doing it. And I'm sure there were some that, you know, were doing these amazing things with health and fitness. But I think it speaks to our country as a whole even more on a global scale that as a society, we're starting to see the downfall of some of the, the issues with, you know, weight or disease or, or issues like that. And we're trying to say, how do we fix this? How do we prevent this? And the global discussion about health and fitness, um, it's a pretty hot topic right now. So it's an exciting time to be doing what we do and sharing this information. Um, the more we can disseminate what we know and as physicians, you know, kind of lead by example, uh, the better the better the communities we live in will be. And it, so I have to say that I sure hope that that's the case for most physicians. Um, it's not always easy because if you mirror that with the medical climate that we practice in, it doesn't always set us up for success in that. Um, being a doctor these days is hard and there are challenges with the patients, you know, we see in the volume and we're going to kind of leave the whole cost side of this out of the picture mm -hmm. for today's discussion, I'm sure. But it's a big challenge and it's really important. Um, for hospital systems. So um, it's a system that is not always set up to do this, but we got to keep continuing this discussion and keep learning more. Awesome. What do you find to be most challenging 
uh, as a doctor and taking care of your patients, what is one of the biggest obstacles that you find? Um, there are, there are several challenges. Um, for me, I want to make sure that each patient I talk to and each patient that I interact with has a positive experience. And what I've learned over the last few years is that that's not always something that I can control. Um, all I can do is, you know, present the information and, you know, do my job to the absolute best that I can. And, um, some people are going to love it and eat it up. And some people are not going to like it when I tell them, you know, certain things like that. So that's one of the biggest challenges because I do tend to be a little bit more sensitive and I want people to, to have a good experience if they're paying their copays or their monies to see me. But, um, most of the time that doesn't happen. It's just, it's the challenge of medicine in that, you know, we're seeing so many patients during the day, you know, all come in with different personalities, different goals, different objectives. Um, and some of the discussions we have to have aren't always, you know, the most fun, but most of the time, I think by the time people leave my, my office, I can sell them on, 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 on what I'm trying to do. Awesome. There's a huge movement right now in the world, uh, if you will, for that with, um, fe like feminism and, and women in the workplace and, you know, the whole me too conversation. Um, I know that being a female doctor, especially in the world of sports medicine, where, uh, many of the athletes you probably deal with are, male, uh, I would, you know, there are many female athletes out there, um, you know, athletics can be, especially the ones we watch are it's very male driven. And so do you find any obstacles being a female in the medical profession? If there's somebody out there listening who wants to be a doctor who's a female and or a sports medicine doctor, um, how would you advise them to go about it? Like, do you see any obstacles? Yeah, I think overall I've been extremely lucky um, in the role that I have now and in the roles that I've had upcoming and the mentors that I've had, both male and female, um, have been super supportive of what my career goals were and, and all the athletes that I currently take care of or have in the past is I think, you know, you, you show them what you got, you know, you show up, you know, you're on time, you're the one of the most professional in the rooms, you know, your stuff, and then maybe your gender doesn't even come into question. Um, at least that's my hope. It's probably not the case. Obviously a very timely discussion, like you said, with the Me Too movement. Um, there have been instances you know, in all of our training as women that where we feel things are off or not right. And, you know, I would encourage any of those women that suffered those things to obviously, you know, speak up in, in the moments and try to get, you know, some support from whatever institution they are or whatever's going on, you know. Um, what I would tell, you know, my younger version of myself or young girls that are interested in medicine is absolutely, if it's something you love, do it. Um, don't let people tell you you can't or not find a good mentor, whether that be male or female, um, and, and let them help guide you along the way. I've had a ton, like I said, of both genders that have been really supportive, um, of everything that I've done. And that's been, that's been key to making the difference. Awesome. Who's your mentor? Um, I have a ton. Um, it's hard to pick out just one probably, but most of the faculty and staff that I trained with, um, when I was during my training, my fellowship year here at the Cleveland Clinic, um, several years back were awesome and super supportive and really kind of helped guide me. Um, before that, I was lucky enough to meet a couple of people that got me into sports medicine to begin with, which is not something that was originally on my radar. Um, so, I mean, the list would be endless for me to give you all the people that have influenced my life. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, we're going to go now, take a step back, and we're going to get a little uh, personal here with a oh, few no. questions. Not, <laughs> whole, not totally personal, but I've got a, I've got a, a, a series I call rapid-fire questions, and these questions are going to come out at you uh, pretty fast. Answer as quickly as possible. Uh, first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, I'll do are my you best. ready? Yeah, these always make uh, me nervous. All right. <laughs> Don't be nervous. Uh, 
how do you define health and fitness? Oh, that's a, that's a hard one to do rapid fire, Steve. <laughs> I know. Um, I'm starting you off hard. I define health and fitness as continuously trying to work to improve yourself. Awesome. What is your favorite healthy restaurant? Um, there's one here in Cleveland called Town Hall, which is pretty awesome. So if anybody's ever in Cleveland, Ohio, check it out. <laughs> if you had a choice of super sense of smell or taste, which one would you choose? Um, probably taste. What's your favorite exercise? I'm a runner. What's your least favorite? Uh, I hate rowing. Rowing is something that I struggle with. If you could do one exercise only for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Um, probably back to running again. And the reason why is um, I've done a lot. I've done every exercise class imaginable. I love yoga. I do Pilates. I, I do all these things. I ebb and flow from CrossFit to, you know, whatever classes I do. Um, but at the end of the day, the one thing that I always go back to when I've had a long day or a rough day or a great day or when I'm traveling, I always go back to just going for a run. If you could only choose one piece of exercise equipment for the rest of your life, which one would you choose and why? Um, probably a set of dumbbells. You can do a lot of things with those. How do you stay healthy and fit when you travel? Um, well, so I actually was listening to your other podcast earlier and the one that you just did about traveling is some of the things that I absolutely do as well. Um, you got to plan, you got to be prepared. Um, I bring my own water bottle wherever I go and fill it up right away as soon as I get through security. Um, if I have a layover between flights, I will, uh, one, that's a great story. One time I got stuck in the Denver airport for like six hours. So I just started walking loops around the entire airport. Um, one of the guys thought I had lost my mind, but I was getting some exercise in because I had nowhere else to go. So nice. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of little tricks of the trade. So I definitely go back and listen to that uh, podcast from Steve. Thanks. I love that too. I've done that before as well. Walking in the airport, getting my steps in. Um, okay, so now these are going to get even faster. So okay. early bird or night owl? Early bird. Breakfast or dinner? Brunch. <laughs> coffee or green tea? <laughs> um, coffee, all day, every day. Green, green juice or fruit juice? Um, I don't do a whole lot of juice, but on the occasion, probably a nice green juice with some good ginger in it. Milk or almond milk? Almond milk. Nike or Adidas? Um, Nike. Treadmill or outside run? Outside, even in the 80-degree humid Cleveland heat. Hiking or surfing? Hiking, because I've never been surfing. Yoga or Pilates? I love both. Ice cream or frozen yogurt? Ice cream. Kettlebell or barbell? Oh, that's a good one. Um, probably barbell. iPhone or Galaxy? iPhone. Pool or ocean? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay we'll defer to that one what is your favorite sport to watch um well on friday i love uh being outside in cleveland so summertime baseball game sitting that's just perfect it's absolutely perfect and what's your favorite sport to play um i haven't done organized sports in a very long time um so i don't really have one that's favorite to play now i used to do a lot of the intramural stuff up here but with my schedule it's kind of hard um, so I'm more of a, I'm more of a fan. They always say, you know, the, the old adage or joke is if you can't be an athlete, be an athletic supporter. So here I am. <laughs> awesome. And then one last final question, where is your favorite place to travel? Uh, so I love to travel. That question could take up a whole nother 30 minutes of this podcast. So I'll, I'll <laughs> defer that, but I will tell you about my most recent trip. So, 
Um, well, my most recent big trip, obviously Miami, when we met was one of the more recent ones, but, um, I was in New Zealand for two weeks, um, in January and February of this year. And it was absolutely spectacular. It was like living in a dream. It was absolutely amazing. Awesome. I've never been there. I'd love to get there one day. Uh, especially since it's close to Japan. Sometimes I go to Japan and see my wife's family and it could be, uh, actually it's not that close, believe it or not. No, I thought it was it's, much it's closer. It's so far away. Yeah, that was, that it, it, it kind of is. Yeah, uh, it kind of is. It's, it so, worth it's it, actually though. so far from everything. It was. It was absolutely worth it. Um, go to Queenstown if anybody's listening. It was absolutely, it's like adventure and fun and people from all over the world. I did whole bunch of fun, crazy, outlandish adventure stuff, which was great. Um, some downtime. The city's just beautiful. The towns, you know, the countryside. It was just, it was a dream. I remember I had just, I just uh, backpacked after college and I was in Switzerland and they had this uh, kind of this, this, uh, this sport, if you will, called canyoning and it originated from New Zealand and you put on this wetsuit. It was like a five mil wetsuit, helmet, um, booties and you went with a harness around and you hiked up into the mountains. Some of the areas they actually had to drive you up and you'd go to these natural waterfalls that were carved through thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years from the glacial melt, the way the water came down the mountain and you slid down these natural waterfalls. Sometimes they were only 10 foot drops. Other times they were like 20, oh, 25 foot drops into <laughs> these cold pools of water um, you had a life vest on too, forgot to mention that, but it was crazy. It was fun. Some of the times you had to like hook yourself up to, um, a belay, like a hook. That's why you had this harness around you and you had to swing around and get yourself into the crevice and like cross your legs and then let go of the rope and you would slide down. It was pretty wild. And looking back, it was risky. I actually yeah. had heard that many, uh, people had died over the years doing it. So I'm grateful that <laughs> that, that didn't happen. Yeah. happened to me, <laughs> oh, <those are laughs> but awesome. it was a lot of fun, I would have loved but that. it originated from New Zealand. Uh, the, the guides were from New Zealand and they had told us that. So um, I'm sure there's a lot of extremes in New Zealand, bungee jumping. Oh, no so, kidding. Yeah. So that was one of the experiences I got to do for the first time and um, pretty crazy, but yeah, there's also, I mean, just, it was beautiful. I love to travel. I think, like you said, it's just, there's something to be said for seeing other countries and other parts of the U S are beautiful as well. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough to go to several regions here and just enjoy and you learn about people that way. Um, you know, if you follow your little tips about healthy traveling, when you go, you know, you can maintain the lifestyle that you want to lead and it's just awesome. Yeah, I agree. And it just creates a nice work, uh, play balance. You have to have you got to enjoy life. You got to get out there. You got to see the world. There's so much more than where you're at. And uh, that's not to be discriminatory towards anybody where they live, but the world is vast, big and large. And we, there's so much to learn and you can stay healthy and fit wherever you go. And you can actually probably even get even healthier and fit when you travel because you're away from the, the normal day-to-day -day things that you do where you might feel stale or in a rut. So I definitely encourage our listeners to go out and travel, see the world, and stay healthy and fit while you do so. Yeah. Dr. Oberly, I am not going to take any more of your time. This has been an outstanding interview with you. I love having you on there. I'd love to have you back. Yeah, I love that. Uh, would, awesome. And I think our listeners would appreciate that as well. We'll think of a topic, uh, one in particular we can cover, and and get deep into that conversation. Um, I want to thank you. I want to just gratitude for you being you, for being uh, in the sports medicine field, raising the standards for health and fitness, not just uh, treating people with 
problems and treating the symptoms, but treating the causes that oftentimes are overlooked. Uh, that includes nutrition and sleep and stress and movement and not movement and all of the above, things that look at the whole picture. So I appreciate your, your openness to the way that you practice. No, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Steve. It's my pleasure. I love, I love getting to do these sort of things and hopefully continuing this conversation. Um, it's, it's awesome. And I hope people can learn something and, you know, we can go from there. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to having you back and you are healthy and fit. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Take care. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey, podcast friends, a few things before you take off. Would you like to receive a short email from me one time a week on Fridays? Five to Thrive Fridays is a way for me to keep you expanding your health and fitness with five of the coolest things I find interesting or ideas I've been thinking about. Health and fitness books, trends, foods, recipes, supplements to keep you feeling healthy and fit over the weekend and beyond. Visit stevejordan.com and click on the hashtag IamHealthyAndFit to leave your email address. And one more important note, if you found this podcast motivating, inspiring, or educational, please share it with your family, your friends, your coworkers, or anyone you know who needs to improve their health and fitness. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or any other social media platform. Taking the initiative to share not only helps the people you share it with, but it will help you 10 times because the law of giving to get. You see, when you give with generosity and without expectation, you will receive more for doing so. And this holds true when you want to be healthy and fit, my friends. This is just another exercise I prescribe to my clients. And those that take it on undoubtedly see the most results. So please, take a few more minutes of your time and do it now. Thank you again for listening. And I am healthy and fit.